Okay, so guys, we're in lesson eight. We're going to talk about Paul's call to believers. Paul's call to believers. Now, let's notice the first six verses, okay? Because you're going to notice it's shifting now. Paul begins with verse one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this, and we're going to kind of divide it up into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, his call. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 3. And then we're going to see the basis for unity. So let's talk about this. So verse 1 is kind of a transition verse. Okay? So after explaining the reality of salvation... Paul now transitions his letter to instruction. So a lot of times you'll have people who'll teach you that'll say that the first three chapters are doctrine, and then the last three chapters are instruction. And that's very much what's happening here. So remember the first three chapters talked about, well, first of all, talked about what God does in each person of the Trinity in salvation, talks about the reality of salvation for you and I, that individually, and then we become part of a new community. He then goes on and explains the mystery. Of course, the mystery is what? Both Jews and Gentiles in one body. And so now he's going to talk about how we need to live with that information. Okay, so he's going to give instruction. So he identifies himself as a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before. Just, just within the last chapter, he described himself as a prisoner of the Lord. But there, he was referring to the fact that he, he was enslaved to Jesus. Here, in this instance, it's actually, the translation is, is that he is a prisoner, even though it appears the same way, he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. So he's in bonds now for serving Jesus. So on the basis of his being someone who is sacrificing for Jesus, he wants you and I to pay attention. So because of his situation, Paul begs his readers to hear and act on his call for them. So the New King James, and I believe it's the King James as well, that says, I beseech you. That's not, a, that's not a word we use in our language anymore, right? You know, I don't go to Lori and, you know, and say, I beseech you, Lori, please make a rhubarb delight. You know what I'm saying? She would just laugh in my face if I used that language. A better way would be, I beg you, Lori, make a rhubarb delight. I'm, I'm just craving it. I beg you to do this. You know what I'm saying? We don't use beseech anymore, so it's kind of unusual to find our modern translation using that, but it does. It means to beg. So here he is. He's a guy who's in chains, so to speak. He's imprisoned. He's probably already in Rome. He is 
writing them. He's telling them, this is what salvation is. This is what it means for you. You're part of a new community. Now, here's what I want. I'm begging you to do what I'm about to tell you. This is important, okay? So this is really, really important. That's what he's stressing here. So then that brings us to the nature of the call, all right? The nature of the call. So we're going to see four things here, okay? And this is found in verses 1 to 3 that he wants us to do. Four things that he wants you and I as believers to do. Because sometimes we wonder, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? He's going to tell you four things here, all right? The first one we find in verse 1, and he says this, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. So that's the first one. So he urges them to walk or live in a manner that is worthy of their calling. So basically, the very first thing that, he, that comes out of him is, I want you to live your life in a manner that is worthy of your calling, okay? Now, each of you here have a calling, okay? Each of you here have a calling. We actually share the same calling. The phrase, the calling for which you were called, refers to their salvation, So basically, what Paul is saying, he wants you and I, the readers of this letter, to walk worthy of our salvation. He wants you to live your life in such a way that is worthy of grace, forgiveness, the relationship with Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? So he's wanting you to walk worthy of this calling. So here's what it is. So he is calling them to live in such a way that reflects the reality of their salvation. Now, what do you think that means? I'm just, I left it kind of generic in your notes because this is as far as the text goes. What do you think it means when he's saying, I want you to walk worthy, to live worthy of your salvation, okay? What do you think that means? So let's spend a little bit of time here. Because it's one thing to hear it. What does that mean for you? Okay, you're saved, act like it, okay? He's saying, so what it means is if I'm saved, I need to act like I'm saved. Okay, what else? Okay, Bruce is saying, live in such a way that the world sees that there's a difference between you and them, okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? Think, think for a moment. When he's talking about you living your life in a worthy manner because of your salvation, what does that mean to you? I mean, because look, we've got to make that decision every day, right?
Okay, passing along God's grace and love that you have for others. That's good, John. Anybody else? What does that mean? Because tomorrow morning, okay, you're going to get up out of the bed. Whatever your routine is, maybe it's the coffee first before you get the shower, or it's the shower soaking your head. Like, is it Monday? You know what I'm saying? And then you get your coffee, and then you go. I mean, so at some point, you've got this routine going on, and you've got to somewhere in there make a decision about how you're going to, what kind of day it is. Are you having a bad hair day? You know what I'm saying? In my case, a no hair day. I mean, what, 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 what kind of, you've got to decide how you're living your life. Now, he's coming along here, and he's saying, hey, live worthy of who you are. Live worthy of the salvation you've give, you've been given. What what does that mean? Yeah. Okay, being thankful. Okay. Okay, honoring and respecting the Lord with the manner in which you live your life. Okay. Anybody else? Now, can it be a negative thing? Because okay, so my background, you know, I came to Christ in 1985. I was. 19 years old, went to an independent Baptist church, and there they will tell you quickly how to walk worthy. Do you know what I'm saying? By the type of Bible you carry, how you're supposed to dress, how long your hair is, who do you hang out with, where you're not hanging out. Is that what he means when he talks about walking worthy? Okay, Gene says no. Okay, everybody agree with that? Those are superficial because superficial, you could do all that and still be rotten on the inside, right? Yeah, and, and sometimes that rottenness is expressed in how you treat other people. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So we're not talking about that. We're talking about a choice in the manner in which we live our life as we go about our daily lives to reflect who? Jesus and the salvation that he's given us, okay? So he's telling us here to walk in this manner. Now, he's going to go on, and he's going to talk about the manner of walking. So he's going to, he's like, well, yeah, I'm not sure still, George. Well, he's going to tell you how to do it. Look with me at verse 2. Here's what he says. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Okay, so here's going to talk about the manner, okay? So Paul goes on to describe the manner in which they should live. So if you're having a hard time trying to comprehend, well, exactly, how do I do that? He's going to tell you. He's going to express it in, first of all, some inward attitudes, okay? So he tells them to live with the inward attitudes of humility, and gentleness. So lowliness there can also be described as humble, being humble, okay? So he's trying to tell you that you and I need to live our lives worthy. We need to live our lives in such a way that reflects our salvation. And how do we do that? Humility. Now, why would that, let, let's think for a moment, why would that be a natural reaction when you think about salvation? Okay, Bruce said, because you are not worthy of salvation. Okay, want to expand upon that. Anybody want to expand upon that? Let me help you. Did you do anything to gain your salvation? 
Was there anything special about you that made God say, yeah, he's the one, I'll save him or her? No, there wasn't. Salvation had nothing to do with you. In fact, we could should, how about salvation was in spite of you? Okay? In spite of you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Salvation is in spite of you. And so when you realize that, it should immediately cause you to be what? Humble. Yeah, why would, Lord, you, you save me? I don't understand. Why would you choose me? You know what I'm saying? And, and so there's a humility. So he wants you to live your life with that humility. And then the next one, gentleness. What do you think that means? How I pick up my cup gently instead of jerking it up? Is that what he's talking about? What's he talking about? Living our lives with gentleness. What, is you, what do you think that means? Okay, well, he does talk about patience. That's good, John. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's a little bit more than that. Okay, that's a great way to put it. You hear what Bruce said? Not being a jerk. Sometimes Christians feel it's okay to be a what? A jerk, yeah. It's not, gentleness is not what we're known for, is it? And, and so here's the reality. He's expressing, just as you're to be humble, you're to be gentle with each other. Do you understand? With each, well, you don't know how people pluck my nerves, George. I understand that. I understand we all have a pluck our nerve point, you know what I'm saying, that gets broken. But we're still called to be what? Gentle with each other. In fact... He's going to expand right into what John was mentioning about the whole patience issue because the reason why we might not want to be gentle is because we deal with people. So here's, here's what he says about our action towards others. He also tells them to act with attitudes of patience and forbearance towards others. We're to be patient with each other. Well, you don't know what it's like. It's like every time I'm with him or every time I'm with her, she just, I just don't understand, and I'm just sick of it. I understand that, but he's telling you to be what? Patient. In fact, notice the, the New King James uses the word long-suffering. That is a little bit more descriptive than patient, right? That kind of describes the manner of, you, you just need to put up with it. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because they're a work in progress and you're a work in progress, right? They're a work in progress and you're a work in progress. So he tells them to act with attitudes of patience and forbearance. And here's the thing. The love needs to be the basis for these actions towards each other. Love. Love. Now, I think we all understand that, right? So love needs to be the basis for how we interact with each other. You know what I'm saying? How we interact with each other. And I think we understand that, right? If you've been a part of any church, are, is everybody in a church the same? Same personality, same? No, they're not. Are there quirky people in church? Yeah, you got one talking to you right now, okay? 
you know, are, are there people that pluck your nerves in church? Yes, I don't need to know who they are, okay? The, the, the point is, you've got to, he's telling, he's telling them as believers, walk worthy, be humble, be gentle, hey, and be patient and forbearing with love. That's what he's talking about their actions towards each other, okay? All right, now let's go on. He's going to talk about pursuing unity. Verse 3, he says this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All right, the word endeavoring can also be translated making every effort. All right, so he is urging the believers to make every effort. Every effort what? He's calling the believers to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, let's stop for a moment. Unity is a very big issue, but how often do we really talk about that in church? Do we? We don't, okay? How often do we strive for that? Yeah, everybody's kind of perplexed, like, I don't know that we are, are we? Or... I think we are. Uh, we are, yes, okay. Okay, we're not consciously maybe doing it, okay? All right, so, you know, my background is, of course, independent Baptist, and I've been in church as a member sitting in the pew. I've been in church pastoring, okay? So I think when I think of pastoring, I'm not thinking of this church, I'm thinking about my other church. And uh, sometimes meetings, ever been to a business meeting? It, it, the business meetings in Baptist churches are the only place you don't need to act like a Christian, have you ever experienced that? Okay. Because people don't exercise this principle here in the first three verses in a business meeting. Okay. I don't know that I agree with you, George. You obviously haven't been to many. Now, and ours were a little bit different here at our church. They don't normally get that way. Okay. It's unusual for that to happen. But I've been in churches where that's happened. Some of you I know have been in churches where that's happened and so forth. Now, now, here's the thing. Usually when there is a split or a church fight happening, what's it usually over? Church fights, church splits, what are they usually over? Okay, I heard a lot of different, one at a time. Somebody, money, okay, what else? Okay, Gene, you said something again? Doctrine, okay, what else? Trivial things like the color of the carpet, okay, or color of a room, okay? What else might they be about? All right, we've all experienced that. Is that a, neg is that a good thing to a church? No. What's missing usually in those discussions, and I use that with quotes, okay? What's usually missing in those discussions? Yeah, we lose focus for the reason for church. Okay. 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 
Okay, so, all right, now did you notice the last part of what Bruce said? You're no longer worried about the church. You're worried about, what did you say, Bruce? Your own personal feelings. Okay. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes. Because we lose track of what this is about versus what I want. Did you understand what I'm saying? So here he's saying, you and I need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, like Bruce said, seriously, the color of the carpet? Really? So, okay, look at the carpet that's beneath you right now, okay? All right. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you right now, this carpet was picked in the mid-70s. Yeah, in the mid-70s, there's only, there's only one guy I know here who was here when they, when they put this carpet in. That's Mike, okay? That, that was some happening carpet back then, okay? Yeah, Mike. Okay. Yep, that's exactly right, Mike. Yeah, and so so back in the 70s, this was it. But we're in 2022. How many of you want this in your living room? Nobody. Not even in your hunting camp, right? Okay, what were you going to say, Lori? Okay. Yes. Yes. We're here for each other. And how can you be there for each other if you're fighting over which garbage cans we're using? Do you understand something trivial like that? You know? And so what he's trying, and this has been a good discussion. I actually am very pleased with the discussion because it expresses where your hearts are at. But this is what he's saying. 
You know, I'm telling you to walk worthy, live in a manner, be gentle with one another, be humble, forbear with one another, and then strive, make every effort to have the unity of the Spirit, okay? Now, what exactly does that mean? So, unity of the Spirit. Well, unity of the Spirit refers to the unity in a church that comes through the Spirit, The source of unity in a church, like the source of unity in our church, comes through the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who works in all of our lives. Do you understand? Who works in all of our lives. Now, that unity through the Spirit is strengthened by the bond of peace within a church. By the bond of peace. That is the decision to, hey, what makes more difference... Now, again, let's okay, let's just stop. Doctrinal issues, that is another issue. But I'll be honest with you, in my existence as a believer of Jesus Christ and the church things that I have seen that were conflict in all those years, I don't recall any of them ever being about doctrine in my experience. Now, maybe, you, maybe it was with you, wherever you were at. But they very rarely come up. Typically, fighting is about, like in the church that I was in in Canada, whether or not the church building that we were going to build, we were a church plant, had a basement or not. And don't you know, if you build any kind of building in Ontario, you need to have a basement. Yeah, I do know that, but I also know that the regulations and building code in Ontario says it needs to be built not like you would do your do your own project in your house. It has to be built with a certain type of ceiling, certain type of ramps going in, certain type of fixtures and everything in case there's a fire and all that. And the cost of it is so high, you might as well make a bigger building on top than putting one in the basement. And they were fighting over a basement. Because they knew better. Isn't that, that's the issue. They knew better, right? What they should have known better was, how's this affecting us? How's this affecting us as a church? Did you understand what I'm saying? How's this affecting us as a church family? Okay? How's this affecting us as a church family? So, he's saying that we need to be strengthened by the bond of peace. Now, then that brings me to the last section, which is verses 4 through 6 which is the basis of our unity, okay? The basis for our unity. So look with me at verse 4 to 6. He says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul lists the basis for the, our unity as believers in a church. All right, now this is important, okay? Make notes as we go along, because you're going to learn what brings the unity in our church. So here's one of the things I know that brings the unity in our church. You need to support a certain football team. Now, we'll have an election and try to determine which one that is. Okay, well... <laughs> You just broke up the unity there, John, okay? I was willing to be Eagles just to keep 
happiness in the church. All right, but isn't that what we think? I mean, I've heard people through the years say stupid things. Well, you can't be a Christian if you vote for this party. Okay? All right. First of all, think a moment of what you just said. Does that have anything to do with whether or not you become a Christian? No. Salvation has nothing to do with who you vote for, right? Why would you say that? That doesn't bring unity. Do you understand? And, and I think we live in an age right now where, we're, where our society is breaking apart because of that issue, right? Okay? So we know it's not that. It's not what team we root for. It's not even like, you know what, I'm a lover of sweet tea. Now, here in the last five years or so, I've had to give that up, okay, medically, for my own health, give up the drinking of the sweet nectar, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but if I came along and said, you know what, as pastor, that is all you guys are going to have to drink. If you're going to be a member here, if we're going to have unity, you need to drink sweet tea. Now, some of you would be like, oh, that's cool, George. Are you going to make it? Yeah, okay, I'm okay with that. Some of you are like, no, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like sweet tea. I don't like tea, period. You know, so that can't be the basis of our unity here. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you think about it. Sometimes churches are unified on crazy stuff. Well, he's going to give us here a list of things that are the basis of our unity. So what are they? Number one, he points out that there is one body of the church and the Holy Spirit. Okay? One body, the church, and one Holy Spirit. Folks, that is the basis. We're, as believers, yes, we're a local representation of the one body, which is the universal church. There's one body, and there's one who? Holy Spirit, who inhabits all believers. Everybody agree with that? Okay, let's go on. Believers share the same calling in the one hope of salvation. All right, so the thing that unifies us here is not just that we're part of one body, the church, that we have the Holy Spirit, but we have faith in the one thing, right? Jesus died for us so that I might have salvation. It has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with him, and it's by my faith in him that I'm saved. Everybody agree with that? That's what unifies us. It is salvation by faith alone, okay? So that's our calling. That's the one hope. So if I were to go to you and I say, what is your hope? Because of your faith in Jesus, you, you're, everyone would express, I'm going to be with him in the end. Yeah, that's our hope, right? There's one Lord, which is Jesus Christ, and one faith in Christ for salvation. So again, he's reiterating Similar things, but now he's getting a little bit more specific. Okay, there's one Holy Spirit. Now he's talking about that we have one calling, one hope of our salvation. We have what? One Lord, Jesus Christ. That's got to be the basis. If somebody walked in here and said, yeah, okay, that's fine, but I believe in Krishna as well. Then we'll have a doctrinal discussion, right, Bruce? You know what I'm saying? 
then we'll be like, whoa, wait a minute now. I think you're in the wrong place. Because our unity is based on our belief in who? Jesus, okay? And we have one faith in him, okay? One, that's the basis of our unity. And there's one baptism. Now, I was baptized. All of you, I hope, were baptized. Now, but I was baptized in South Carolina. Some of you have been baptized somewhere else. Some have been baptized right here. here here's what I want you to hear me. While the area and place we were baptized, we were all baptized in one baptism. And what is that? An expression of what? Our inner faith. Baptism is an outward expression of our inner faith, okay? Which refers to the outward expression of faith. Finally, there is one God, okay? Who is the father of all creation. I used to like to say, I quit saying it after a while. I used to say, you can tell that Paul's a southerner just by reading verse 6. One father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Okay? Now, he's not a southerner. Okay, so maybe the translator was. But uh, the point is, there's one God who is the father of all creation. Now, next week, he's going to talk about gifts. He has gifted the church. He's gifted you. So we're going to talk about that next week.